<laughs> hey, welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Abel with Jonas Everett today. Jonas, it's been a while since you've been on the show. I'm happy to have you back. I'm glad to be here, Roger. This is a lot of fun for me. That's good. This this show should be right up your alley. It's really kind of similar to what happens on our call-in radio show on Tuesday nights, but we're going to kind of cover you know some listener questions that we've got recently and you know, I'm looking forward to your insight because Jonas, you, you've always got some good insight into this stuff. But I, I have to ask. I know you're a you're a big traveler. Where'd you guys go for Thanksgiving? We went to St. Pete. Uh, we like that area for for Thanksgiving. And uh, do you stay at the Pink Place? The Pink Place. We started there? out at the Pink Palace for two years, and then we were walking down the beach, my wife and I, and we spotted a Verbo that had a pool and a hot tub, and we started taking the kids, and they actually liked it the first time. So. Um, and I like it a lot better than Disney. So there's a, uh, it's a lot laid back and uh, you like it better than Disney. See, oh, I actually really like Disney. Yeah. I don't need to go to magic kingdom. Right. But all the other ones I, I can do. The only right. thing I didn't like was the general cost. Right. I'm guessing that's why you don't like it. Too. Yeah. That's exactly why I don't like it. <laughs> Jonas, I've known if you for, it were free, I would love it. You know, I've, I've known you for 22 Mickey. years. <laughs> well, you tell I'd be you wearing Mickey's ears right now if it were free. You know? Oh my gosh. Um, have you guys ever looked at the trade winds, trade winds resort there? No, we haven't. So we I'm stayed sure. there. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah. We had a good time, but uh, let, let's kind of get into it. We'll go listener. Question one. Question one is from Joel. My wife and I are getting close to the age where mandatory distributions from our retirements will start. We don't need the cash. Can we convert our required distribution to a Roth IRA? Will our son then have to pay any taxes on the money in the Roth account when he takes it out? Yeah, I'm, I mean, you can. Uh, I mean, you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to do that conversion before. Um, your required minimum distribution age. I mean, there are some tax consequences uh, on that. You're going to have to consult your uh, uh, your tax attorney, your tax accountant. But uh, yeah, that is a way because Roth IRAs do not have required minimum distributions. So, um, but whatever you know, what we're seeing, Roger, is uh, a majority of people have most of their money in in retirement accounts, accounts that have never been taxed before. So. In a perfect world, you'd have 100% tax-free money at retirement, but that's not necessarily. It's difficult to get all your money tax-free in retirement because you know as well as I to convert uh, a taxable account to a tax-free Roth IRA, you have to pay the taxes on it. Yeah, and I think one thing to back to Joel's question, you can't avoid the required distribution by doing a Roth conversion unless you converted the the entire account. Right. So absolutely, a conversion does not count as a required distribution. Just just to kind of clear that up. And if you're going to decide to do Roth conversions, typically we talk to people about doing them sooner rather than later because it gives you the most you know impact from being in tax free growth. But there are things to be cautious about. Every time you do a conversion, it adds to your income. Well, if you're 65, that can affect your Medicare premiums. There's a lot of different things and moving parts before you do a Roth conversion that you could, you should consider. And there's a question there about, will my child pay taxes on the money? And no, your child won't pay taxes on the money. But one of the new um, laws that's been enacted is that that Roth IRA, the beneficiary Roth IRA, has to be drained or depleted within 10 years. So it can't be this perpetual 
tax-free bucket of money, but your kids won't pay tax on it or your beneficiaries wouldn't pay tax on it at that time. And I think that kind of answers what Joel was looking for, Jonas, and you did a good job talking about that. Yeah, and it really in a, on a big, uh, wide uh, look at things, this is the lowest, the retirement tax bracket is the lowest it's been since the early 90s. You have to go back to the 1920s. There's no mandatory state of Iowa tax on distributions. Um, on With my customers, we're withholding just 10% federal taxes on their retirement accounts. That's a lot less than when they were working. They were at 28 to 35%. So, you know, you, you're just not going to get away entirely from paying taxes. But if it's at such a reduced rate right now, the the conversation or the, you know, the, the, the bias to do a conversion to a Roth, you know, I think is less important than what it was maybe when the tax brackets were higher for retired people. Well, and I think the other thing to to recognize is that a conversion sounds great, but if you're going to pay the tax on an account today and you need to go make a distribution in three, four, five, number one, you can't, that money, a conversion has a five-year window before right. you can take it. But if you need the money in the sixth year, was it really worth paying the tax if you need it six years later? You know, the, the nice thing about working with an advisor like us is we can plug this into our software system. We can run a break-even analysis based upon tax rates today, tax rates we think may happen in the future, and really make a good decision as to, hey, this is what you should do regarding this Roth conversion. Um, you know, I understand why some people want to do want to avoid the RMD because it could push them into a new tax bracket, right? If you got a $2 million 401k and you had to take 4%, it's 80,000 bucks. Well, that's 80,000 of taxable income. So before anybody goes out and starts doing conversions, consult with your financial advisor, consult with your tax guy, make sure they're working together. And, and that'll actually help answer a lot of the, the questions as to, you know, what you should be looking at doing from a conversion standpoint. So let's move on to question two uh, here, Jonas. Bear with me. I lost my outline. So Jonas, listener question two, I'll, I'll ask and let you answer. This is from Abe. He says, I'm 68, collecting Social Security since 62 and still working. My ex-wife passed away a few years ago at 67. We were married 25 years. I read that I could collect her Social Security benefits as a survivor, but Social Security said no. What did I not understand about this? Yeah, Abe, you're already getting the higher of the, the two checks um, on that one. So that's why... Social Security said no. And, uh, um, you know, one thing that uh, we always remind uh, people, and that that's our market, right, Roger, that uh, uh, it's not necessarily that uh, we work with people that don't have the information. It's just people get busy and they forget. Uh, but Social Security is, is one of the, the biggest guaranteed paychecks that people are, are going to get. And uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, we always, you know, try to recommend. So that answered Abe's question, I guess, right off of the, the bat there that uh, his check was higher than his ex-wife's check. But uh, if you have, a, if you're a husband and wife and you're nearing social security age, if, if you have a higher breadwinner, if that person can wait as long as possible um, to collect, 
Um, and what we've seen, Roger, is uh, if that person, that higher breadwinner can somehow wait until full retirement age, it seems to draw the most money out of the system based on your family tree, obviously your, your life expectancy. And it's important to, to do that because uh, every uh, household is going to face this situation in retirement at some point, husband and wife where um, a spouse passes away, walks out of life. When that happens, the Social Security Administration just always pays the higher of the two checks out. Um, and a lot of times I have a customer that he's the only customer that I, that I had. You can actually wait until 70 to get the, I call it the Super Mario Gorilla Math uh, benefit out of Social Security, you know, more than your full retirement uh, benefit. He waited until 70 and uh, he got this enormous, he's getting this enormous uh, uh, Social Security check. Uh, the problem, which, which is uh, unfortunate, his wife passed away, so his income is still down uh, 30% because uh, Social Security only pays the higher of the two checks out. Got it. Yeah, I, you know, it's something people don't think about when they do their financial plan, too. They don't plan on losing that check. And there should be some strategy around how to protect the bigger of the two checks like you mentioned. So that yeah, was a pretty straightforward one, but people are confused about the ways to claim Social Security. I don't remember how many ways there are, but I think there's like a few hundred different ways. Right, right. I don't remember that. I was actually Googling it, trying to find it, but there's like a few hundred different ways. And what's so funny is people have their own bias towards Oh yeah. When they're going to take it anyway. So we could have, we could show them like the, an hour long meeting and what the, what the actual, how the math pencils out. And they're like, Hey, my uncle took it at 62. I'm going to too. So that's what I'm going to do. So. Well, and here's what's ironic. There's really only one way to actually determine what the best age to take social security is. And that's to actually know when you're going to die. Right. If you know when you're going to die, it's pretty easy. But if you don't know, there, there is no optimal strategy. It's all dependent upon your longevity. If you live to be 95, you should have waited. If right. you pass away at 72, you probably should have taken it. But who knows? But you think about the conversations we have with people. You mentioned family tree earlier. Like, okay, what's your family health history? If nobody in your family made it till 95 years old or 90 or 88, well, maybe you are leaning towards taking it earlier. What if you had you know, a stroke or you have had heart disease or you have a cancer, well, okay, then maybe you would take that check to get the money out. Um, there's so many moving targets on how to actually claim the social security that uh, you can't just go by what your bias is just because somebody right. else did it this way. doesn't mean it's the right way for you. Um, Absolutely. And, and you think about it. We always talk about optimizing it, but everybody's goal isn't always to optimize like, you know, if it makes someone feel good that they take the social security right. and get their money out, but it wasn't optimized, well, it is what it is. Well, you, you mentioned feel good. If people are worried about the system, even though we show them the data, if they want to take it at 62 because they feel good, they feel better, they're able to sleep at night, then we're we're all for that. Yeah. I mean, we just make that work in their, their financial plan. But well, that, uh, you, hit the head, the, you hit it on the head there. You can run it both ways. Right. This is what happens if you take it at 62. This is what it's 70. If it's all the same, guess what? Your choice. Right. Who cares? Yep. Yep. Um, question. The next listener question comes from Amy. Uh, my husband and I are getting ready to retire. Our investments are managed by a certified financial planner. Our nest egg has not shown much growth over the last several years. 
we think it is time for another professional advisor to analyze our portfolio and see if we are really heading in the right direction. Is this out of the ordinary to seek more advice and how would we go about it without offending our current planner? No, I mean, this is just called a second opinion. I, I mean, this just happens in, in uh, everyday life. I mean, I, I, uh, we have two teenagers that are driving right now, and I had to buy uh, my wife. Uh, I, I bought my wife a, a car, a, a Nissan Pathfinder, and uh, it has a slow leak in the tire. I took it to the tire shop last week, and uh, he said that there's no way to fix the leak, that I have to buy a new $450 tire. And I said, um, I'm going to get a second opinion. I would like my vehicle back. And he said, uh, why, why do you want a second opinion? And I'm like, it's a brand new, it's a van, brand new Pathfinder. I don't want to pay for a, a new, new tire. And I want to, I want to shop it around. And, uh, well, uh, you'll have to have me back on another podcast. I can, I can show, I can, uh, tell me what I, happened. I could, I could, I don't know what happened yet. I got to I got to get a second opinion. In the meantime, I'm filling, filling the tire up, uh, once a week, but, uh, <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, this happens, um, people usually move when they're disturbed or motivated. I would rather have somebody get a second opinion when they're disturbed. But, but one of the things that, uh, you know, you can do, you know, not to offend your, your current advisor is just let that person know that you're, you're out there uh, getting a second opinion. Let that, let your advisor know your unhappiness first. And uh, if, if, if they don't have a good explanation, go out and get a second opinion. Roger, I, inherit, I inherited a lot of my best customers because of this result. And a lot of times it's, it's actually not the, it's, it's not the actual problem um, of growth that this person has in the, the portfolio. Most of the time, the problem is communication. Yeah, so... What first thing I would do is try to do a little research on what is my portfolio and what are those similar investments done over the last two or three years? Because arguably, if you open an account with a certified financial planner or any planner at the beginning of 2022, then you've been with that person for two new years now, you're likely still down money. Yep. The stock market's still negative. Not as by as much, but it's still down. So the expectation that you would have had these great results isn't really accurate, right? Because we your planner can't control the market. And let's talk a little turkey. We just had Thanksgiving, right? So uh, are we? Uh, you know, what percentage of your money do you want to day trade, and what percent do you want to be an investor? So um, do you want to take that turkey out after two hours? And, uh, and serve that uh, to your family? Or do you want to leave it in there for, for five hours? Like you said, uh, we were coming off of a bear market where the S&P 500 went down 25% last October. Um, it was the worst year in the history of the government bond market. That was down 15%. So if, if people, you know, the, the last thing we want people to do is take that turkey out um, after two hours, we want to, we want them to leave it in there for five. Yeah. And you know, typically, you know, and you hit on the head performance typically is not the reason somebody's leaving. Like there's something else that they're concerned about. They may use performance as the reason, but it's not typically, uh, the big driving motivator for, for leaving. Um, but question four, Ricky asks, I'm debt free, comfortable, I'm debt-free with a comfortable income and excellent credit. 
I just got a new cashback credit card. I have three other cards, including one affiliate with a retail chain that I no longer use. Should I close the retail chain card so I only have three cards? Should I have fewer? What do you think? Um, well, you know, I would say yes, uh, just for um, organizational uh, purposes. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, again, people forget if you have four credit cards, the last thing I would want to have happen to Ricky is him to forget to pay one credit card on time, get a penalty that might affect his credit score. Now, I, I know it might slightly reduce his credit score if he closes those credit cards out, but I don't know by how much. I, I would just use this as an organizational tool. I feel in my family, we have too many um, credit cards and I would like to do the same thing. I'd like to shrink them from three down to one. So I think that's a great idea. Well, and, and if he doesn't want to close and affect his credit, here's what's really easy. Just send it through the shredding machine. Right. Like, okay, you might have it. Doesn't mean you ever have to use it. Right. Right. Um, just put it through the shredding machine. The other thing, if you're going to use credit cards, go in, set everything up to auto pay. At least auto pay the minimum every month. Right. Then you never run the risk of missing a payment. Yep. Yep. Auto pay everything. And um, then uh, really, you know, the, the do you think he should cancel the ones that have an annual fee at this point? I if mean, he has good credit. It depends on how much of your open credit it actually is. But if you're paying a $95 annual fee on a credit card that has a $1,000 credit line, well, I don't make any sense. That's 9.5% right. in fees. I mean, seriously, if most people's credit cards are 5000 bucks, and it has a $100 fee. You're paying 2%. Right. Just to have the card. So um, I think credit card really more when you cancel it is because you can't manage it, right? Absolutely. So if you can't manage it, you shouldn't have it because that's going to really destroy your your credit going forward. Um, so I think, you know, this is where you've talked about this a lot, Jonas. It's what's your actual relationship with money? How do you treat it? Are you responsible? Are you an overspender? Like, if you understand how you kind of evolve with money, then it'll make that decision a lot easier. I think you'd probably agree with that too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So Dylan 32, I make 47,000 a year. I save about 120 in my 401k each month, which is just enough to get my company match. That is really all I feel I can afford right now. My dad recently sat me down to talk about my poor money management. He's constantly talking about how much, when he was only making 22,000, he still managed to save 250 a month. He thinks I should be saving at least 500 a month. I thought I was doing the best I can given my circumstances. Am I missing something? Should I save more? Well, <laughs> so here's the deal. Likely you should be saving more if you make 47,000 a year. Arguably, we're looking to get at least 15% getting socked away, right? So on 47,000, that's six, seven thousand. It's about five hundred a month, and I understand that everybody thinks they're doing the most they can. But here's what I think is different, Jonas, about today versus his dad, which was in 1982. He sent his dad was making twenty two thousand eighty two. In nineteen eighty two, the internet didn't exist, Amazon didn't exist, 
Chick-fil-A didn't exist and all these niceties in life. Starbucks didn't exist. What'd you have? You had Hardee's and McDonald's and maybe Wendy's. Right. That was your options. Today, we have this generation that believes, whether right or wrong, believes that um, Chick-fil-A is a necessity and Starbucks is a necessity yes. and going out to dinner is a necessity. In fact, one of my friends brought up to me, he's like, man, I just don't know how my daughter's ever going to get ahead. They make all this money, but they don't have any. He's like, they can't afford to get a new house. I said, they can afford it. Let me ask you a question. I said it to my friend. I go, how many restaurants did you go to when you were 25 <laughs> years old? He said zero. <laughs> Everybody, if you have 47,000, you have the money. You just don't want to allocate it to the places where it needs to be allocated because you don't want to give up your triple vanilla venti latte and you don't want to give up Chick-fil-A at 32 bucks a crack and you have to go out for happy hour and lunch every day like you have to make sacrifices if you're going to save 15% of your check. Well, I, I think I I talked about this story on AM 600 radio, but my uh, super savvy, successful small business um, owner in town, uh, I have meetings with him once a year, and uh, he he points through the glass to his employees, and they, he said uh, he wasn't making fun of them. He, just, I, he was just making a point. He said, the reason they're never going to have money is they go out to lunch and they spend $15 every day at lunch. This is the reason, Jonas, I have money. And he pointed to a, a, a pack of bologna and a loaf of bread. And uh, that's exactly what you're talking about, Roger. It, it, it's, it's tough to cut. I mean, we live in America. Um, it's tough to cut these uh, things out. I, I wrote a book called A No Budget Life to try to help people at least cut the, you know, cut the stuff out, you know, at least identify what their lifestyle investments are. If, uh, if Dylan is, uh, is a homebody and doesn't take any vacations, then there's no reason that, that he can't put more in his, uh, 401k. Yeah. I'm guessing though, that if 120 bucks a month is all you can save out of 47,000. Yeah. There's other, he probably has a $700 car payment, probably lives in an apartment. He can't afford probably goes out to eat or lunch every day, doesn't cook anything. Like it all adds up. If, if people out there don't know what they're spending on the stuff they think is inconsequential. Examples, fast food, coffee. And I'm not bagging coffee. If coffee is your passion, go right. do it. Guess what I do every year? I have Quicken for my personal and I have QuickBooks for my bids business. So I went and looked and said, well, how much did I spend at restaurants? And I can afford to do it. And I saw the number. I said, I'm not spending that next year. Right. But most people don't know what the number is. Yep. They don't even have a clue what the number is. All I know is a coffee at Starbucks now is four and a half bucks. Yep. And, and that's that's why restaurants advertise credit cards because people don't have it. Yeah. They well, don't know what they're spending. It, Starbucks is a gift card now because you yeah. just reload your card on your yeah. phone. It's really not real money. You know, Dave Ramsey always talks about handing over cash. Right. It's harder to give somebody your cash. Absolutely. Than it is that here's my phone. Yep. Swipe it. So I think it's just a matter of in this situation, the individual probably has to figure out what's most important to them and then allocate their lifestyle around that. And but, the really good news, Dylan, I mean, you're already took the hard part. You took that inertia step. He's getting the match. Of, you're, you're getting the match. So you're doing more than a lot of 32 year olds are uh, Roger. And I just know that 
the people that are financially successful in retirement, they at least 10 in their retirement retirement plans and usually more. So Jonas, this next question I actually think is good. It shows the power of advertisement and how people are kind of influenced by what they see online. And Gwen wrote in and said, my husband and I have quite a bit of credit card debt. We've seen a lot of posts on social media about debt settlement or debt relief. She wants to know, is this a viable option? It seems almost too good to be true, but we can't figure out the catch. Yeah, I, I talked to attorneys about this, and uh, they uh, they do a lot of advertising for a reason, these debt settlement companies. And uh, the uh, I'm not an expert about this, but the, uh, the opinion that I get from attorneys are that uh, it is not a road that you want to go down. You, you want to do things yourself uh, because, uh, uh, you know, like uh, like we've talked about before, uh, if you damage your credit, um, it's going to take seven years. If you have to file bankruptcy, it's going to take seven years before you can get back, you know, out of that hole. But I haven't heard any good things about debt settlement companies. No, I, I think um, this is where it sounds easier to have somebody do the hard work for you. And I feel like in society, most people, that's what they're looking for. And that's why advertisements like this work. Like, hey, let us do all the hard work for you. Well, good results come from you putting in the work. And most of the time, getting out of debt is a situation, just like we talked about, Jonas. You got to get a handle on what you're spending. People don't know what they're spending. If you don't have a budget, that's step one. Like, figure out how much is coming in, what's going out. And then you got to figure out where you can cut. Yep. Like everybody has room to cut. And is it going to be easy? No, it's not easy to give up the trip to Florida once a year and tell your kids this year, we're not spending 10,000 on spring break because we got to pay off credit card. That's not easy. Nobody wants to do that, but those are the things you have to do to get out of debt. A debt settlement company isn't going to be your silver bullet to financial prosperity. It's just not going to be that for you you know one idea too i mean it's a different mindset you're wearing a different hat uh, when you take full responsibility i have a customer that takes all her clothes um and she's like a triple diamond like level at this consignment shop and she uses all the money it's a lot of work she but she uses the money throughout the year to take their uh, family trip she doesn't she doesn't spend a dime more and use the the credit card. It's all the money that she makes uh, from uh, that consignment shop. Yeah, I mean, people have all kinds of money laying around their house and their garage and closets and boxes that they yeah. don't have any idea what it's worth. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't think I'd look at a, a. I would number one sit down and make down a budget. Let's figure out what what you have coming in, what's going out, and then let's just start attacking the debts from smallest to largest and pay it off one at a time. Um, and if that's not an option, then it's probably time to just go talk to an attorney. And bankruptcy might be the option for some of those people. I mean, it depends on how deep you're actually in, but for some people, that's the viable option. Um, next question's from Wendy. I know you've heard this one before a lot, or Jonas, because you've done this for 27 years, 28 years. What do you have? Yep. 28, 30? Yep. Right around there. I forget. I want to convert. <laughs> I took a dinosaur to work. So, <laughs> you know, Elias on one show asked if the internet was invented when I got married. <laughs> That's no joke. He asked me that on our show. I'm like, dude, I'm not that old. 
Hey, yeah. I was born in 1971. The first chat room came out in 1971. Really? Yeah. Believe Come that. Come on. No. The internet's been around a long time. That now, one. it was probably on some big IBM supercomputer. That was or, some shady chat room. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> probably so, yeah. Oh, all right. Wendy asked, I want to convert 500000 from my 401k to a Roth IRA. How can I do this and avoid paying the tax? Here we go. Um, well, the bad news, you want the good news or the bad news? <laughs> the good news is you can do this. The bad news is you're not avoiding the tax. Yeah. And, you know, just um, the back to the education and, and uh, like you said, getting the knowledge, a little bit of the knowledge and maybe seek out a financial advisor if you don't have the time to do it yourself. But uh, just know that whatever your age is, um, just know where the retirement tax brackets are and, uh, you know, don't get in a big hurry. Taxes are just a part of um, the fact that you either have gains on your accounts um, or your money's never been taxed before. I mean, taxes are actually, they're, they're unavoidable. That's like Ben Franklin said, death and taxes. Every time you think you have a scheme to not pay it, I promise you, someone else has thought of it and they fixed the loophole to get around it like you know people get creative with what they think they can do and and it's just not not gonna work um you know that said how do you minimize the taxes on that so one of the things i would look at doing if i was this individual is understand how tax brackets work and that they're progressive and maybe you just start converting some of this over time versus all at one time right you know, if you go convert 500,000 at one time, you added 500,000 taxable income. Well, maybe you just start doing 50 a year and have a plan to get this all kind of feathered out over 10 years and not just get un inundated with taxes. And the other thing is if you do the Roth conversion, you have to have the money on the sideline to pay the tax. Otherwise it just really wasn't worth it. You know, you, you can't withhold tax from that. You want to be able to write the check to go ahead and move on down the road, convert it, pay the tax and do the next one the next year. So I think that's the roundabout answer. If you think you're going to, there's a way to avoid taxes, you're not. I love that. Just convert small amounts, small and, amounts. And just at least you have a strategy in yep. place. Um, this is a great one. And it's that time of year. Everybody's going to start asking. We did a show about this four years ago. Brett asks, should we be concerned about the upcoming presidential election and how it will impact the stock market and our investments. Well, I look at the just the the research, um, historical research on this, and uh, um, the last time we had uh, uh, unrest in the Middle East, we had uh, higher inflation chased by higher interest rates. Uh, we had two recessions. Uh, was seventy three to nineteen eighty. There were three presidents during that time that you know, probably more or less are not on anybody's top 10 list on best presidents ever um, during 73 and 80. I won't name the three presidents. Uh, but I have to tell you, Roger, a long-term investor, not a day trader, uh, did very well on some older mutual funds that we have the data about and even the S&P 500 which wasn't around, but they can calculate the, the uh, top 500 uh, companies. And that's after the stock market went down 10% five times. And like I mentioned, we had uh, two recessions. So 
I, you know, I think administrations come and go. You're going to have to ask yourself, are you a day trader or, or an investor? Well, here's what I'm going to tell every single person that asks me this. Who the president, who's elected president, doesn't have that much impact on what happens in the stock market. But you want to know what does? Monetary policy. Monetary policy is how we're adjusting with quantitative easing or quantitative tightening and what interest rates are doing. I think everybody would agree that we've went from a very easy monetary policy pre-2022 to restrictive now, which has made it challenging for the stock market investors. So that has very little to do with who the president is. That just has to do with what the normal monetary and business cycle is in this country. At some point, we're going to have a recession again, Jonas. We're not, we're not going to go 100 years without a recession. It's going to happen. Absolutely. We just don't know when. So monetary policy has way more to do with stock market returns versus who the president is. I mean, let's be honest. Every time there's an election, one side thinks they should get out of the market because it's not their pick, right? So if a Republican gets elected, the Democrat the Democratic Party thinks, man, we should get out of the stock market. They're going to wreck it. And if a Republican gets elected or a Democrat gets elected, Republicans say the same thing. So nobody's right. And one, one, one thing that has been uh, 100% correct about the financial media the last two years is they're they've wrong. been 100% wrong, wrong about a recession. And you just have to find a way to tune out the financial media. I know it's going to be difficult because this is the only thing that's on TV and on the, the radio, but... Uh, you have to know in the back of your mind, the media is just going to go absolutely bonkers during this time of year. And you need to ask yourself, are you going to let that bother you during the short term or are you going to have a financial plan for the long term? Well, Jonas, I think that's good insight. I think this is how we're going to end the show. Everybody should think about getting a media filter. Think about where you're consuming your information, why you're consuming it there. And then figure out how to just drown out the noise. Because most people, if they make no changes to this stuff over 10 years, it'll all work out. It'll work out. But if you start micromanaging it, that's when people get in trouble. Oh, I have to go to cash today because X, this person said this. Or this might be the, this might be the next president. So I have to buy X, Y, Z to protect. Nobody knows. They don't know the outcome. What we can do, though, is look at financial history over 10, 15, 20, 40, 50 years and see that long-term investors who had a financial plan and stuck to it fared quite well over their investing lifetime. I have a great media filter for you, Roger. Turn it off. I, I had a, a customer do a, a fly-in a trade company, flew him and his buddies over to go fishing in Canada for seven days. No cell, no cell phone reception. The only thing the... The, uh, the phone was good for taking pictures of the fish. So, Jonas, I'll be honest. I don't watch the news anymore. I consume my information pretty much via financial media through reading. I just, I don't, I'm probably not alone. There's probably a lot fewer people that are actually watching the news on a daily basis. Because number one, figure out what's accurate and what's not. Right. It's hard to do. So that's how I control my media filter. I'm on CNBC and Bloomberg and I'm con looking at is well hopefully not biased financial information sure um but everybody has to figure out how to get a media filter and not get inundated with making rash decisions about their portfolio based upon what happened today because over the long period of time just 
sticking with your asset allocation, having a financial plan, being boring, things will work out. Most of the customers that call in with worries, Roger, have the TV, TV on in the background. They're, they have the TV or they're watching YouTube <laughs> or they're watching yep, YouTube. watching and YouTube. Most of the stuff on YouTube is not accurate. <laughs> so with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, if you're looking for help, Getting started, working on your financial plan, you can go to btwellshow.com. You also can follow us on social, Facebook, X, LinkedIn. Uh, once again, I want to thank everybody for listening. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Consult your tax professional about eligibility to Roth and traditional IRA contributions. Contributions and earnings in a Roth IRA can be withdrawn without paying taxes and penalties if the account owner is at least 59 and a half and has held their Roth IRA for at least five years. Traditional IRA account owners have considerations to make before performing a Roth IRA conversion. These primarily include income tax consequences on the converted amount in the year of the conversion, withdrawal limitations from a Roth IRA, and income limitations for future contributions to a Roth IRA. In addition, if you are required to take a minimum distribution RMD, in the year you convert, you must do so before converting to a Roth IRA. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax advisor. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks including possible loss of principal. Dollar cost averaging involves continuous investment in securities. Regardless of fluctuation in price levels of such securities, an investor should consider their ability to continue purchasing through fluctuating price levels. Such a plan does not assure profit and does not protect against loss.